Welcome to Calling It Out, the podcast dedicated to calling out the BS in your head and teaching you how to free yourself from an eating disorder or an eating distress. Throughout this podcast, we'll be looking at the way we think and how it impacts our behaviours. With each episode, we'll be teaching you how you can change your thinking in order to lead a freer life. I'll be your host, Jacqueline Campion. Welcome to season two, episode five of Calling It Out. So this week's episode is going to be different from all the rest of them. Um, This week is going to be my first time actually having another voice on the podcast and my first interview um, out of all seasons. So it's going to be a unique episode and this lady that I'm going to be interviewing today um, I suppose the first thing I was thinking about before uh, introducing Marie is exactly where do we start um, I'm almost conscious to to miss out on something but hopefully it'll kind of if I do miss out on anything we can include it throughout the conversation but um, for those of you that, that don't know uh, Marie Campion is I suppose one of many things. She is the first recovered person that I've ever met. Um, Marie is the founder of Merino Therapy Centre um, and has been working in the area of eating distress and specialising on teaching people how to recover themselves from eating distress for nearly at least 30 years now. Yes. Um, and many things. Marie is also a published author. Um, she herself has experiences for three decades of experiences with eating distress. Yes. Um, so fully recovered, published author, um, someone who has come from a place who has more than on one occasion wanted to end her own life. But now today, not only seeing the beauty in life, but now in a position for the last three decades, teaching other people how they can get to a, from a place of hopelessness and um, to feeling a lot more hopeful. So there's so many different reasons um, that I wanted to interview Marie. Um, but I think the main thing is that we can just, we're always talking about between the groups and the podcasts and everything like that, how much we can learn from one another. And I just think it's a wonderful opportunity to learn from, I suppose, your experiences especially. And not only are you all those titles, but you're also my mom. So if um so I won't be referring to you as Marie through the podcast, but ma'am, in case anybody's wondering, and um, that's a strange way to address uh, a guest. So I suppose, yeah, there's so many different angles, but one of the things that I haven't mentioned, I suppose you'll probably find out that myself and ma'am have very different accents, even though we've spent the last 30, nearly 31 years together. Um, originally, mom has, I suppose, the, the main thing and where I kind of want to start with the whole journey of, I suppose, your kind of life journey and how many challenges that you have faced. Um, and I suppose just how much we can learn from that and kind of give us hope. One thing I didn't mention at the beginning is that one of the main things that stands out for me is that journey of you escaping communism um illegally which would have been how many years ago would, would that have been over 40 over 40 years ago so <laughs> i suppose that's one thing that really stands out for me and when i'm kind of even maybe speaking about you to other people and um, it's something that tends to kind of get people's ears up because it's not always everybody's experience so i suppose just to even kind of start um 
for those that maybe don't necessarily understand exactly what it's like to what it means to actually escape communism, escape communism illegally and kind of what it's like to live in communism. Maybe we can just kind of touch on that a little bit, because I think for a couple of parts, um, it's just a really important thing to look at. So for those that aren't kind of having that understanding, what how would you describe what it was like? living in communism in Czechoslovakia at the time. Wow, where do we start? (laughs) And how much time do we have? (laughs) Living in communism is um, something what um, it's not easy to describe in a couple of sentences because it's a constant fear, constant dread. And uh, it's different when you are in it and it's different when you escape actually from it and you look back. It's the amount of fear, the amount of mistrust, which has to be, because the word communism and the ideology of communism, you know, it um, it's something like, you know, it's an uh, ideology what is based that we are all equal, you know, and we are all, um, but um, the communist ideology forgot um, the human personalities and uh, it become dictatorship. We couldn't travel. We couldn't trust anybody, you know, like in my own case, I was arrested for carrying a joke against the system. You know, you could be arrested and people are arrested for just a few words, you know. So it's something what um, definitely affected very badly my family, you know, and I saw, especially my grandfather, I saw a big effect on it. So I decided as very young, um, especially one day we were walking, you know, um, in the fields and granddad touched the soil he was a farmer and everything was taken from him he was just left without nothing and he nearly had tears in his eyes you know to saying oh this was all taken from me and um, it did I do still remember and um, when I saw the effect of that I decided you know I will um, leave I was not only escaping from communism if I look back everything looks a little bit different I had um, quite challenging relationship as well, you know, uh, with my mother. It was quite um, abusive physically and mentally. So I was really actually escaping as well situations. The more I later left home at 19, I started to get involved with people who were similar minded because we all have a need to belong. And... um, then the more you get involved, the more you get in trouble, you know. So uh, eventually, actually, I had no choice. I had to leave because uh, twice I was caught. And every time, each time you get caught, it gets much worse. You are going on the system. So really, on the end, I had to even leave a little bit earlier because I had to bribe the top people, uh, you know, for to get false paper. and was the last one running to the plane and um, fighting for freedom. You know, I do not regret it now. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it was an interesting experience. Yeah. I think interesting is definitely an understatement. And it's kind of like you said, it's, that's, I suppose, even before, you know, asking you to come on today, it is that sense of like, where do we start? And I suppose even the crossovers, you know, a lot of the, the podcasts and everything that we're kind of promoting at, at Marino and obviously that you had started 30 years ago to promote, it was always about this sense of actually, you know, fighting for freedom. And I suppose, can you remember the time 
like can you remember when you decided okay I actually I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna leave here I'm gonna go for it yeah actually the first time as I said it was I was about um, maybe what was it 10, 8, you just remember this type of um, like photograph- photographic memories nearly. Mm. And uh, then it was, um, you know, it would take very long time to nearly describe all a lot of moments. But mm. um, the more, you know, the system is really very damaging, you know, especially when you look back, it's just absolutely unbelievable. People have sometimes, in theory, everything is wonderful, but it destroys, it will take another generation. I know we have a freedom now. Mm. I still, for example, didn't get my citizenship. I am Czech nationality, but they still didn't give me the citizenship, you know. And um, it's something, you know, when you're a young girl and (laughs) in your early 20s and police knock on the door with dogs four o'clock in the morning and go through your apartment. And so it was really building up more and more that there was not a question not to leave, Mm. you know. So on the end, it's just the freedom is something what, uh, especially I have very idealized the Western freedom, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes we need to nearly idolize f- freedom to keep us going, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, it was on the end the only option because um, otherwise um, <laughs> we wouldn't go there. Yeah, yeah. So I suppose because it's just it seems like obviously <laughs> it, it's it almost sounds like something for me personally that I would just normally just see in movies. So it's still, I, I don't know, it, kind of, it almost seems like it's, does it ever feel like it's like a different, yeah, it just, it just, it seems so abstract. And I still sometimes need to remind myself that, that, you know, that you've been as, as my mom, that you've been in those situations. And I suppose why I'm so kind of interested in it is even the crossovers to, you know, escaping communism and like you're saying, even escaping abusive relationships at home. And obviously at that time, at that time, would you have been experiencing eating distress on top of all of that? Yeah. Yes, the, um, I actually never remember being free around food. You know, sometimes we are very much um, talking about it started that age, started that age. You know, I really experienced real freedom only in my late 30s and um, late, um, especially in 40s, it was full freedom. Uh, but um, it was always food was used, either eating or not eating, to get maybe communication or to numb the feeling, which are um, uh, later. Um, it, it was communication, you know, and numbness. So uh, I did a lot, a lot of things maybe what came, especially when I was very young. I didn't realize that um, something what we call abuse today, you know, for me was nearly normality. I always felt, you know, it was always my fault. Everything was my fault. And even if you are, for example, like uh, going against the system, you know, mm. people didn't admire it. Like mm. um, I was going maybe on the street and people I made homework for uh, actually crossed the road because they didn't want to be associated with me because I lived in a small town. Mm. And um, the rumor spread, oh, she was escaping, she was caught. So it was dangerous to be associated. So you always feel very different, but you do not understand yourself. Mm. So the uh, abuse would get maybe from outside, emotionally, physical. You know, you actually deal with it with numbing with your feelings, like especially, you know, when later you recover and you understand um, when you look back, you know, what is actually to be human being. It's not about being a good person and a bad Mm -hmm. person, but that actually we have certain needs and sometimes the needs are... 
not met. So the eating distress and the abusive behavior around food, you mm. know, was nearly like a filling up the gaps, mm. what maybe I didn't get from my relationship, you know, with my mother or dealing with my emotions I experienced, you know, um, during the life. So a lot of things only make sense when you actually fully recover mm. because deep down even the communism, like um, we, when we experience eating distress is very similar. Our mind is like in the prison, you know, we are like, and we have the key in the pocket, you know, and freedom is um, owning our choices. When you live in communism, when you're experiencing eating distress, you don't own your choices. You don't even realize you have your choices, you know, like even the escaping. I used to always feel so guilty, mm. you know, or even like um, a lot of things took nearly five decades before I confronted my mother and still your mate, it was your fault. You are mm. destroying, you did. You know, sometimes people don't even realize mm. that uh, moment you were just a child and you were, you know, or sometimes you had to escape. So I was looking for being understood, you know, and um, sometimes only when you actually escape, when you really free yourself, because we often think somebody else should free us, but we need to free ourselves from toxic relationships, from toxic environment, you know, mm -hmm. and it might be challenging journey, but it's always really yeah. worth it. It's so interesting, even just listening to you talk there, just the parallels of escaping communism, leaving toxic relationships and, and freeing yourself from an eating distress, that kind of parallel in what you mentioned earlier on about even that kind of that guilt and that it's my fault. And I suppose it's even kind of thinking about communism. If I maybe think like, you know, when I listen to your story or if I maybe see things on, 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 you know, movies that are similar kind of narratives, it's almost like this kind of, you know, I suppose, you know, I would see it like, you know, brave, courageous heroes. But like you said, there's that other side to it where it's not always celebrated to go against the grain. It's not always celebrated and welcomed to break away from these, what would you say, regimes, you mm -hmm. know, that it's kind of almost, I think as well, even with the Western society, we can we can so glamorize it. And even like you're saying, the coming back to even toxic relationships, it, I think it's something that we're talking about so much more. And that's definitely fantastic. But there's still that underlying current, whether it's with eating distress and the toxic relationship with ourselves, but toxic relationship and abusive relationships, you know, with our partners, our parents and work, that shame and that guilt. It's so challenging just to even shake it that it's like it's not my fault that mm. I'm in this situation. So it's yeah, you make a lot of sense because you see so often we carry so much guilt. And the guilt came from outside and become part of nearly our self-talk or so the narrator in our head really needs a lot of editing, you know, that sometimes, especially, it's not that who caused it, but it's what we can do with it. And um, I think it's very important, you know, sometimes as well, we think when we just tell somebody what they did to us, they will understand. Like I know when I confronted, especially my early childhood, the physical and emotional abuse with my mother, the result was total opposite than I actually expected. The same, I thought I escaped and <laughs> some people will be maybe supporting me, the mm. opposite. I lost um, and it, most friends actually, know, one was two were still there and were wonderful. Mm. You know, it took me a while to realize actually that their approach was very helpful. So it is something very, very similar, you know, that we need to ask more what we want do we is our self-worth depending on what other people 
actually think about us. And that's maybe it comes even now that we have so many mental illnesses because we so depend on being like from outside. We are not enough valuing the choices we are making. And often the choices we are making will not be still very welcome, welcoming by maybe others, but they will free us. You know, like even now, even in Ireland, you can see the word abuse nearly. <laughs> it brings shame. It's wrapped mm-hmm. up in a shame the way we pronounce it. Or maybe we are dramatizing and making big deal out of it, you know. Mm-hmm. So a lot of work it's still and maybe more understanding we need you know even the way we are talking about it and especially I feel we do need to more talk about humanness as human we are not perfect we last couple years we were so um, nearly you know pressurized and abused again, uh, by idealism how we should be we should mm-hmm. be all this and this and actually instead just valuing the way we are and embracing uh, you know that our experiences are just not because we are bad people, but we get our experiences to learn that we are strong. You know, like, I know when I look back, it took me a really long time to actually value that what happened to me could be brilliant learning. And at the moment, you know, like I would say, it um, taught me who I am and that is the freedom. Then you stop judging who you are and you own it. And that's well worth it, the journey. Emotional freedom, physical freedom. You find place where you like to be. I think freedom needs to be more promoted, you know, that it's really worth it. Mm. You know, you were, you, you just mentioned there about kind of, I, I'm kind of maybe paraphrasing there, but the word judgment just kind of came up there when you're speaking. I suppose for, for people even kind of listening to this, Obviously, in so many similar situations, obviously, whether the, the, the dictator is in our head, like you said, even that kind of the, the sneakier 2.0 dictatorship of idealism mm-hmm. and shoulds. And, you know, as human beings, we, we're shooting all over ourselves these days and, and we're not even always noticing it. You know, mm-hmm. I should do that mindfulness course. I should do more, you know, yoga. I should be, you know, kind of dreaming bigger. So it scares me kind of thing. When you're talking about even judgment, for you, what from your experiences, what do you think, what does it take to let go of that judgment? Mm-hmm. Wow, you're giving me quite a challenging <laughs> question. I can't ask these questions yeah, no. at home. I'm taking advantage of the mic. So. But um, it takes a while, you see, I think, again, what type of uh, words we use. You know, I like work. I like working. I always like value work. So I use the word work. And I think it takes a lot of work, but it's an enjoyable work mm. on ourselves to understand it. Mm. You know, if you ask me these questions years ago, I would probably not understand what um, you're talking about. And again, I think it's so important we edit and we check it, the words we use, you know, as I think it was Da Vinci said, uh, more people get killed by words than swords. And the words we use, even thinking about ourselves, we use with people, you know, it's, it's so important we put more more energy to it and make sure that they are gentle, they are supportive, they embrace our humanity. And when I look back, I didn't even realize, didn't understand my thinking. You know, I personally thought that everybody overanalyze, everybody dramatize, everybody put themselves down. And for years, I was just thinking, you know, that um, so not good enough. That's why I think a lot of mental illnesses are just coming from uh, not feeling not good enough. But it takes time to even realize it. 
and very much, you know, I always thought, okay, nearly easy way out. I finish it. You know, I actually lift chairs. I always carried safe dosage of sleeping tablets. I was put on sleeping tablets age of 13. And then, you know, we a lot of experiment with <laughs> legal, uh, only legal, you know, <laughs> didn't come to the other way, other type, but uh, combined. And I was thinking always, okay, I can finish it. Mm-hmm. Nearly, if I look back, I was so judging myself that it brought me to uh, experiencing a lot of uh, suicidal tendencies several times. I really did it. Didn't bring me anywhere. Got even annoyed. I can't do anything properly. Mm-hmm. Not even that. And I was so angry with the world. And only when um, I started to a little bit look at how I am thinking. And again, sometimes I think we say in therapy, you know, you have to do it for yourself. Mm. When I look back, I was not able to do it for yourself. The most sense of self-esteem was so low. So it was really only when um, my, I got pregnant, which I was not supposed to because I was twice told you can't have children, but actually I did. I thought I have cancer. I was very sick and I went to the doctor and he said, my cancer called baby. <laughs> so he has in five months. So it was a little bit again to digest it. But I have to say, first time I felt needed in this world. I never experienced that feeling ever, you know, and suddenly... I think, okay, something needs to change. Mm. And um, it's very interesting when I look back, you know, to do it for somebody else, you learn a lot about you. So I often say my first daughter saved my life and keep me on this planet and my second shows me how beautiful the planet is, you know. So it is very important to change a little bit how we talk. We need to connect. We live in times that we worship individualism. And it's not the mental things, mental illness is what is the biggest problem. It's the loneliness. It's the lack of connection. You know, it's the, when you walk the doggies, the doggies acknowledge one another. When I came 40 years in Ireland, you know, I came from Germany, Holland, Czechoslovakia, countries when people are not very friendly. I felt like in heaven, people were friendly. They look at one another, mm-hmm. you know, like when I was severely suicidal, it never helped me that somebody made some policy and brought it some policy about suicide and become political issue. But yeah. it actually somebody looked at my eyes and yeah. somebody said, hello, and use my name. That made huge, huge difference. When somebody actually shake your hand or touch your shoulder. So maybe when we start to just even look at on the street in one another's eyes, maybe even if we give one another smile, mm. you know, the world could be a much nicer place. So you see, when I look back, everything looks very differently. I feel actually very lucky these days. I can't even believe how strong the tendency leaving this world. I thought I am doing favor to the world if I disappear mm. because that's a message I got very early what I remember. But what is in our head is not always true. So repeated theory becomes a fact. People so often say, if I tell them the world is beautiful, they think I'm from another planet. But actually, no, we need to start to think that way. And it's the connection what we really need, not pill. Freedom and recovery, you know, recovery is a discovery who you are and what a beautiful world we live. And freedom is owning this choice. It doesn't come from a pill. It's a skill. We learn, and mm. it's really well worth it to promote it. You know, we really need one another. That's the major things. Yeah. And it doesn't need to be always family. Sometimes people think it needs to be family. Mm. You know, sometimes we are a whole human being. We are one big family, so maybe yeah. we need to look after one another. Yeah. Even if some of our close family members got lost on the way, there's yeah. loads of others. 
Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point as well. It, it could, like even like you're saying, sometimes when it coming back to even to the area of family and how we can be comparing as well, that like there's almost no hope because what should be a certain way isn't. But even like that, I, I don't know when you're speaking there, there's a real sense of even, you know, the power of not, you know, not strangers, but other human beings that don't have to be collected from blood. You know, even sometimes like the power of whether you're just going to the coffee shop or you're mentioning things like eye contact. And I think sometimes, I mean, for me personally, even kind of when I would have been strongly in condition, it would have been easier for me to maybe do a cycle for a suicide than actually, you know, connect with somebody or or or, or to kind of make that personal responsibility mm-hmm. to reach out like that. And um, when it comes to, uh, yeah, like I suppose, when it's coming, when we're talking about kind of suicide, and I think as well, even it's still something that we're hearing a lot. I think sometimes we're almost becoming numb to the term. It's kind of even yeah. like, you know, it's almost like mindfulness or, or you know, just these words that kind of go around. Um, but like what it actually even means. And sometimes I think there's still even a fear to talk about. I can see that as well, even sometimes in work where the fear of even ourselves, of even if you're having those thoughts. What do you think are the main things that we need to be promoting in that in that area and instead of because there's a lot of talking about suicide and I don't know if it's always helping from from your mm-hmm. experience what do mm-hmm. we need to be promoting um you see again I think the best promoting is integrity that we walk the talk I think we live in times you know we do a lot of talking but do we really walk it do we value mm. integrity, mm. you know? And do we watch the words? You mentioned the word so mindfulness, you know, like again, it started in 70s, I think it was Helen Young, and now we, our mind is full already. The principles are brilliant. We are making degrees from it now. But if you look at the word, we need to empty our mind. Mm. We need kindfulness, because when you are kind to yourself, you know, then you are kind to the others, and then we have a kind world. You know, for me, I learn a lot from other people and observing other people. And I think, like, the more we talk about suicide, we are nearly uh, diluting the word. People use the word, like, um, I experience people said, I kill myself if you don't buy me the handbag. Parents were told, you know. So we need to be more careful how we use the words. And it is very serious. It is very mm. quick solution. And I know myself, it's so quickly it can be done, you know. And... I am just so, so grateful I never succeeded. It's fine, hard to believe the way I was thinking. It's up and that keeps me maybe as well in this work and everything I would like to bring the word hope. Hope is, uh, you know, the most important things. When I published my book, Hope 1998, I was actually badly attacking the papers that in medical journal that I'm giving people false hope. I think false hope never exists. Mm. We need to have hope and asking more what we want and be patient when we get, we get too much blame and looking even in a mental health, what went wrong, what went this, too much diagnosing. More people use labels in diagnostics than actually their own names. Mm. When we pronounce our name, our name, transmitters are actually activating in our front drop so it's so important that you see even with parents you know like you mentioned our accent like I was there with you and your sister all the time because being mother was for me really the most precious gift this world ever gave me so you know first I was afraid of it because I never experienced that personally but then okay I didn't experience it I want to at least give it and actually I probably gain more than the two of you and it's something that 
you didn't get my accent. So there's so much blame and we do so many researches, you know, how parents damage. So I would like to tell every parent, please enjoy your children. Doesn't matter, ED, not ED, just plan to enjoy and never feel guilty. It's such a useless emotion, luxury, we can't afford it. Mm. And really promote more, even now it makes me so sad that, you know, we all the time hear, oh, during COVID, people with mental health, Mm. people are getting worse, people are getting worse. I really think we need to give credit to people like I work during COVID, you work, you know, our colleagues works. And so many people use the COVID times as actually speeding up their recovery. These people don't get mentioned. I wonder who is doing all these researches, some undergraduates just using them for making their own name. Let's stop making names and just actually more get together, promote more recovery, something what really makes me very sad now that we still tell people that recovery is not possible. Mm-hmm. When I was told over 30 years, the 32, that uh, I will never recover, the courage what it was to take to actually make that appointment. And my medication was doubled and I was told I have to live with it. Of course, I was suicidal. And that was my coping mechanism. Today, everything yeah. made clear. Yeah. But somebody took my hope, somebody who didn't understand. So if some professional still more and more... If 11-year-old is told she has to manage it, her family's life as a mother is the worst things I want to hear. My child will not be recovering. Mm. We need to start to believe in uh, things can be done. You know, if you take from the word impossible, you know, a few little letters, it can be all made possible. Mm. And uh, I just think that people need to realize, be more careful what they are saying. If I'm saying to somebody, somebody doesn't recover, I'm actually Mm. saying, I do not understand recovery. We don't have recovery part of training programs. We have top experts in this country never got training in recovery. So you think anybody, you know, who is listening this maybe and like as a parent, if you go somewhere, please ask how many recovered people do people believe in recovery? It's not what causes it. We never can diagnose just straight away. We don't know how the conditioning, how deep it got to the subconscious mind until the person recover. They make, there is a time later for to learn from the past, you Mm. know, and uh, to bring the message. Everybody can be recovered. It's a choice. You know, and it, if somebody said to me, not everybody recover, as a society, we need to make that choice because yet there is a too late. It's mm. a very, very dangerous illness. Mm. And the same, you know, with suicide. Suicide, I wouldn't call it a mental illness. It's a reflection of a society, how connected we are, mm. how supportive to one another we are. We have a lot of charities now, but most of the charities are professional fundraisers. You know, my experiences, and not all of them, some of them do wonderful work, In but we just need a little bit, bring more the message of the freedom, humanity, and have a hope. Hope always keep us going. Mm. Yeah, I think that's it's so interesting just when you're speaking there as well. It's such a parallel of in one way, like I suppose you're 30 years working in the area um, and it's like, you know, only during the week um, I had recorded something on the Marino TC Instagram and I'd been getting a little bit kind of heated. I just kind of came to a point where I'm just kind of just fed up with hearing about how normalized recovery is impossible. <clears throat> and I, I definitely see that there's messages out there that full recovery from any distress and self-harm and behaviors is possible. But what's some, I suppose what kind of came up for me is that the the amount of people in very powerful positions of, of influence are still, on, you know, 
questioning the idea of full recovery. And it's kind of baffles me that 30 years on, you know, why is it? I suppose I just it's it's I don't even know if I have the answer to it or, or just kind of saying it out loud. But like, how come, you know, after 30 years, you're we're still it's like you're passing the baton on and we're still talking about full recovery. It's like any time, you know, if the media want to speak or if someone wants to do an interview, it's like there's still and I kind of and I see it even with clients or even throughout the podcast. It's like it's still more it's it's so necessary and it's still almost perceived as a surprise that a oh, full recovery is possible. How come we're still in that situation? Do you think that 30 years on we're still trying to convince people of it? Mm. Yes, you see, there's few reasons actually there, because, again, you know, we all as human ask nearly why, you know, but why keep us trapped? The question is what we do about it. You know, mm. so I think, again, we all have our different journey, you know, our universal planet has a different journey and when I look at in the 30 years as well it's we portray very much mental health as hard work something hard Mm. but I remember 30 years ago when hardly anybody could not people didn't understand enough you know but people were so excited that the recovery exists and uh, nowadays the way we talk about all the time talking drama how hard it is that nearly the hardship become my worth my challenges in life become my worth I think when my worth is already there except not always I see it Mm -hmm. the challenges are not my worth they are the part of the journey of the learning where I'm learning to see my worth and um, when we actually something learn then it is not hard it's only hard hard is nearly very dangerous affirmation and it came a lot from drug companies because they make billions on telling people it's hard take out drug instead just give yourself time and learn about the beauty of the world that is nearly like from hippies you know so Mm. it's so important that actually we you know again you talk about the judgment even media cause it discourse it we are too much obsessed what cause it we don't know i'm 66 and i don't know you know what caused my ed and doesn't matter important is that you hold on to the freedom and uh, media actually recovered me i still remember like now the picture uh, it was in a one of the women's magazine lady said you know recovered from bulimia and uh, it's just I have it so strongly printed in my head. That is not one thing or one turning point. But media are very powerful. You know, our message we give, what we actually say is very powerful. And maybe we just need to more encourage one another. Yes, recovery is discovery who I am. And I never met anybody yet in my life who regret to recover. And that message need to be, you know, strongly like do not deprive yourself of discovering what a beautiful human being you are. Mm. That would be my definition of recovery. And maybe we need to repeat it more and be afraid of the hardship, what people with other intentions are promoting. Yeah. Yeah. When, you, when you're speaking there, there was an, a thing, another thing that kind of came to mind. It's like, like you're saying about like, you know, d- mental health or, or <clears throat> be in a position where like you could be working on your mind and st- it's, it's almost like it's such an effort to do it now years ago there'd be that excitement you know I suppose yes. for me personally yeah it was kind of up and down with the idea of maybe being excited by it but I definitely see that now where it's almost like if you say recovery is possible then I probably go and have to do something about it it's not always that excitement and I think that sometimes maybe you know it's just maybe a theory but even that pressure kind of reminds me even just like like you often say, recovery is PhD is a PhD in life. And even with college, like how often are we 
you know, just going and, you know, going for more accreditations or more kind of continuous professional development or doing certain things because we think we should. And if we do that, it gets us to the next step. It's always almost like, and I can definitely see that shift a little bit of like recovering now so I can start my life. Whereas like recovery is life. And I suppose like, yeah, I'm even just kind of thinking there. And yeah, like you said, it's, it's actually, it's really enjoyable work. Yeah. I think we often see it or kind of judge it as like, oh my God, this is going to be so, do I have to go to groups? Do I have to listen to this podcast? Do I have to do my journaling? There's such a kind of, I suppose, really being aware, like you said, there even things are getting in on a subconscious level. We're not even aware the pressure we're putting on ourselves, you know, and I definitely, you know, it's just interesting. I suppose over the 30 years working in the area of eating distress, have you seen changes over three, de- three decades working in the area between eating distress and recovery? Yes, um, maybe it's my expectations. I was hoping, you know, that when I started to work in this area, I will take less. It, uh, the changes are a little bit different. You know, I saw really a lot of people recovered and that keeps me uh, so motivated. And But I saw a lot of changes that the shame people have about um, um, eating distress, it's still there. So many times recovered person says like, you know, oh, I can't click on your Facebook, but great stuff. You know, my family doesn't know it. So really we are missing the understanding. So maybe we just need to review um, what way do we portray it? You know, is it ethical? Is it hopeful actually to the people who are recovering? How do we talk about it? The shame is really actually worse than years ago. There is more awareness, but we need to be very careful. There's a big difference, awareness and understanding. There is less understanding. It become more, you know, in a way, uh, as I said before, you know, my trouble, my anxiety, you know, my labels, people nearly collect labels. And you're right. Nowadays, you know, we need to see that it is a joy to, you know, uh, actually to learn, join to study that when we do something, we do it because we want to do it, not for a piece of paper. You know, everything is an experience. We need to get experience before piece of paper. Nowadays, piece of paper become our worth again and our quality, you know. Pose is very important, but it's like recovery is not just some destination. Mm. It's, you know, people often ask me a question, how do you know you are recovered? Do you stop working on yourself? You know, no, I personally get up every morning and first my little mind map and my little focus, especially during COVID, because it's much harder to keep the mind on the leash, you know. And But you look forward to it. You look forward to give yourself time to think about you, your philosophy and the judgment is gone. You yeah. own it. If you do something, what you know, maybe you discover it wasn't the best choice. You just learn and you move. There is no failure. There is no relapses because, uh, you know, life can be challenging, but you never turn to self-destruction as a numbing coping mechanism. And mm. it's the biggest difference. Yeah. It's just interesting hearing you kind of talk. I was thinking I'd put out questions about um, if any, like if anybody had any questions for and um, you know for for yourself as someone who's fully recovered not once i've heard you mention throughout the conversation about how hard it was whether it was escaping communism or you know kind of moving away from toxic relationships or being told you know that you'd you'd never have children or being told you'd never recover and then even recovery that i've never not once have you mentioned how hard it is because one of the questions that have kind of come in and, a, and the kind of theme of a few questions is almost like 
you know, how do you keep going when you don't want to anymore? You know, and mm-hmm. I suppose just listening to yourself speak, there's there's a much more kind of lightness to it and, and enjoyment and, mm-hmm. you know, it's just interesting. Yeah, like, do you know that, <laughs> you know, me pretty well. It's, um, it doesn't mean it's always easy. Yeah. You know, you embrace emotion. I don't see emotions as good and bad. And I love life and I love people. Um, it's something that I feel extremely grateful. I never looked as life something hard. You know, I look as life, okay, if that door is closed, now the door will open. There is a little bit sadness because nobody has everything, you know, and there is, but if you discover that you were deprived of something, it was an experience would teach you to appreciate something else. Mm. And challenges in life actually deepen our gratitude. You know, gratitude sometimes it's like a word what we mechanically repeat and our tick tick recovery is. But when you feel gratitude in your heart, and I think the more recovered you are, you more live by your heart than by your mind. Because when the body-mind gets connected, you know, we nowadays eat with mind, we eat with our heads, we over-intellectualize, um, over-analyze a lot. Uh, and I used to be one of these people, used mm. to read encyclopedia and actually remember some things just to impress people. You know, it's strange when you look back, but you have to laugh at it. You have to bring a little bit like, you know, the Greeks used to say, uh, Hippocrates was prescribing levitas when there was a heaviness. So so often I give myself in the morning levitas and just Google some jokes, even if they are not politically correct, you know, <laughs> the, the better actually nobody arrests me now. Suddenly you appreciate that, you know. So it's like lightness we need. We talk about mental health with severe heaviness, you know, like make it a little bit lighter. It's really not hard. Hard is just a word, you know, which uh, is, um, you know, nearly <laughs> I don't know what is hard, you know, maybe the diamond needs to be hard to cut through the challenges. And humans are like the diamond, you know, we need time and pressure to really be able to cut through it, you know. But attitude to life, I think that's what you talk about the suicide. It's so important that when people feel suicidal, you know, it's not their personality or it's not mental illness. It means that we are talking too much about the hardship in the world mm. and we are not balancing that with how actually wonderful place it yeah. is. It's yeah. where we look, what we focus on grow. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's even bringing that awareness to it and the personal responsibility we have to take now to actually look for that kind of good news. It's almost like you said, that kind of naivety to have hope in such challenging times. You know, it's kind of like we don't need to keep reminding ourselves. It's almost like naive to believe that, you know, things, Mm. as I said, you know, speaking to somebody who's maybe the challenges that you've been through, you know, between, you know, your own personal challenges and, and, and with communism and everything like that, it's, I don't know, I, I can only imagine it's probably hard to tell you that things are getting worse, do you know? So mm-hmm. it's it's like you're saying about appreciation and the, your attitude to life, you know? As, what, just to kind of even, I mean, there's like, I suppose the two of us, we could definitely be speaking about this for, for, for the whole week. And definitely there's, there's so much more that I even kind of wanted to touch on with you. But you talk there about even like developing an attitude towards life, whether, you know, if someone's listening to this and they they really are experiencing that sense of hopelessness that you kind of touched on earlier on, what do you what would you say to those people listening today that just genuinely find a challenge and to to see that they could be learning to love life the way that you have? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Well, um, 
I suppose uh, my first will be you are important and it's there. You know, it's like get your spiritual glasses, you know, just maybe even get out of the house and look at somebody's eyes, you know, because I think um, it will get better. That's one thing, you know, first there is always solution and things will get better. The elder I'm getting, the more I see that all the simple cliche, you know, actually are true. Yeah. And things always get better. Mm-hmm. You know, that's mean, my question is what takes the hardship always away. It's what am I learning? Because from everything we can, the minute we turn the, a hardship to learning, it's not a hardship. Mm. You know, it's like I know when I came to Ireland, couldn't speak English, you know, like it was so, yes, it was hard. And I was all the time giving out about the Irish and one day my father said to me, he said, you can't expect the Irish to learn Czech. You need to learn, understand them and practice their, uh, their language. And on the end, you know, I realized, oh, my God, what a beautiful country. And um, it's something that the minute you learn, it's not hard. OK, mm. I don't have a perfect English. I'm not language talented or anything, but I'm sure people understand me. You know, so there's always a choice. The the choice nobody ever can take away from us. The choice what we can focus on. Even the question, what do I want? You know, and just be kind to yourself. I really think being kind to ourselves is something what personally took me a very long time to mm. understand. You know, so maybe just teaching kindfulness, mm. you know, and teaching like we all matter. We all need one another. We might not see it. But everybody is here for a reason. So we are, that's why we call it conditioned, because we are so conditioned. In communism, we were conditioned to believe this. We are conditioned. So let's uncondition mm-hmm. and bring the unconditional love, and it will get better. Beautiful. It's for everyone. Thank you. I I won't even spoil that, because I suppose, you know, I was I was quite nervous um, for Me even too. having this conversation. <laughs> it's funny. And, and again, there's still so many things that I would like want to explore further and, and you know, hopefully in a, on, a, on a different episode, we'll go deeper into different things. But I suppose the main reason why I wanted to kind of have you come on today is that, I mean, you're a walking example of how anything is possible, you know, and anything is possible. I believe that. I yeah. saw so many miracles, human miracles. Well, I remember time when my father got heart attack, you know, no, nobody can transplant heart. Today we do it. Then Dr. Bernard came. Anything is possible. If it is not in our times, there is a next generation. What type of ancestors we will be? That's the yeah. question we need to ask today. Yeah. And it's worth it. Beautiful.